Chapter 7 It begins with Violet. She's not on the first page, but she's the light that calls my anti-heroine. Makes her say, hello. So far, I thought only about violence, endlessly sketching um, without finding her origin. The past few days, I'd even wished for a little more violence in my makeup. Not the cannibally parts, but as Waddy and Birchie fought me on a thousand tiny friends, I'd long for a scoop of her single-minded will. Violence was so certain. I'd completely discounted Violet. Even though I started drawing her in middle school, she had my dark hair and strong jaw and deep-set eyes. She changed during my senior year of high school, post-JJ, when I invented Violence. I turned Violet super pretty, evolving her from Hilary Swank's less glamorous third cousin into a willowy blonde with big eyes and bigger boobs. She got so sweet that I hurt my own teeth drawing her, like an old-school superhero girlfriend. T-S-T-L in the vernacular, too stupid to live. Violet skips with her oblivious cheer down that first dark alley, and her near-constant state of jeopardy allows for a lot of sly feminist humor in the first half of the story. By that end, by the end, it's not funny anymore, as she and the world become wreckage. Maybe I'd made her less like me so that it was easier for me to ruin her. Violence begins to break in an abandoned warehouse where she and her boyfriend had been taken by a drug lord. It's a huge dark space filled with pallets of crates and stacked boxes and thugs are stationed at the edges and entrances. The cartel guy wants to know what happened to his crew, the boys from the alley. As Violet cries and swears she doesn't know, the rabbits and the sweet-faced mice and the puffy birds begin to gather around her. Their pleading expressions match her own. The animals are a tell. Rabbits and robins are present only when Violet is seen through Violence's eyes. In the black and grey shadows near the frames, bits of her appear. A jag of hair, the edge of one boot, a sharp nail hand. Every distant shot shows one less thug guarding the perimeter. More viscous liquid pooled in corners and running down walls. The cartel guy loses patience right after last thug's feet disappear near the top of the frame. He steps close, and above him, Violence's deep purple silhouette glows faint near the ceiling. She's clinging like a spider with the corpses on the henchmen draped and hanging within the pipes around her. He pulls a pistol from his waistband and puts five bullets into her boyfriend. Last chance, he says to Violet, and brings her his gun to bear. That's when Violence drops between them, so lightly that the snick of her knife's unsheathing is writ larger than her landing. There's a moment of surprise, some pre-fight banter, and then Violence is suddenly pretty much eating him. The, pal and zoom, the panel zooms in on Violet. Her face is in her hands, but she's speaking through her fingers. Her eyes are filled with tears, but her lips, she might be smiling. Her palms are pressed hard into her cheeks, though, so it might be the pressure of her hands pulling the corners of her mouth up. It's hard to tell until you notice the rabbits. While the mice and the birds work tenderly, comforting Violet and drawing the corner of her skirt over the dead boy's face like a shroud, the rabbits are watching Violence. They stand up on, her, on their haunches and their white pelts are splashed with gaudy blood. They witness this murderer get eaten up alive and the rabbits kind of like it. Maybe they begin to change. Maybe that is why the graphic novel went viral in the first place. Violet's story happened to everyone. 
All of us, every innocent babe born on this planet gets broken eventually. We could all reach back in time with certain fingers to touch those places. Someone you loved died. You watch your mom and dad walk out of the door. You had sex for the first time and learned exactly how expendable you were. Or you peel back the lid on an old trunk. I hadn't looked at Birchy since she'd closed it again for me. My eyes didn't want to turn that way. What would I see? Guilt? Defiance? Pure fury, pure fury at my ham-fisted insistence? My grandmother, who made my icebox pie and called me sugar, had human bones hidden up her attic. Who was this woman? I didn't want to look at what either. Not now that I'd let the sunshine touch this thing that should have been stayed in darkness. This thing should have never been behind. But when I looked, I saw only my grandma and her bosom friend, small and frail and dear to me. What he was looking back and the compassion in her large round eyes almost undid me. Forgiveness even. And under her gaze, I knew I'd marched us all to this dark moment. Once, I'd fired the estate sale folks to help sort out this attic. What he had moved that sea trunk, I'd let her no choice. And what he had tried to warn me, she told me on my first night to leave back the things as they were. She had begged me not to open the chest. I'd known her, her my whole life, but it had never once occurred to me to trust her. I hadn't thought. If Watty is stealing a car, then she must have good reason. Maybe I should let her take that trunk and go. Birchie herself looked stricken. Her lips moved, muttering or maybe praying. She stepped back from the closed trunk and Watty took her arm again, rejoining at hip and elbow. Oh, sweet lord, who is that? Who did you kill? Martina Mike screeched from the sidelines. I lurched to my feet saying, shut up, Martina. It didn't matter whose bones they were and how they came to be. Birchie and Watty were standing right by human remains, but as I looked at them, I could not believe that they were murderers or evil things of any kind. I didn't understand the bones, but I, under- uh, but I understood these women. I trusted them. I didn't need to know their origin story, or Birchie would have told it to me years ago. I only wished I had let Watty steal my car, let her drive that chest away and hide it somewhere else. I did better and forever. When I saw her backing down the drive, I should have grabbed two giant cinnamon rolls and gotten me and Digby drunk on sugar. I should have sat down with lavender and said, What's so darn interesting on my computer? Thirteenth secret would have been innocent and fresh. Sweeter than this box of bad history on the lawn. Is that... Was that a person? Was it bones of a person? Lisbeth Barley called. Martina Mark announced, I'm calling Cody. God help us. Birchville had only five full-time policemen and one of them was Martina's grandson. Jackass did not stop, did, did not skip any generations, at least not in the Mac family. Cody was the last thing I needed in the yard right now. Miss Watty, you and Miss Birchie go inside, Frank said quietly. Birchie leaned in with worried eyebrows. I need to put my trunk away, she said, one hand reaching for it. Watty held her fast, kept her from touching it. I need... I cut her off, saying, go on inside, it's okay. I'm scared of what she might say next. She just publicly claimed ownership of a box of human bones. I would not let the Louis bodies convict her of God. Only she knew what else was on the lawn in the front of Barley's and Martina Mac. 
Martina was already barking onto her cell phone. Nah, nah, Cody, I'm saying you get your butt over here to watch the house the right way. Come now, what he said. Leah and Frank will handle this. I nodded, reassuring I had no idea what this is. Once they were moving in the right direction, I turned back to Frank. Should we take the trunk inside too? Don't you move that, Martina called. She was off the phone now and pointing at the sea chest with one quavering old finger. That right there, that's a crime scene. Lavender and both boys watched, big-eyed and quiet. Hugh loomed over her, protective. Jeffrey had only a couple of inches on lab, but he was doing his best to loom protectively over her on the other side too. My bare feet were cold in the dew-wet grass. Down the road, I could see the blue-clad teardrop of Cody Mac already speed-walking up from the square. Her officious gait set his maglite swinging. It's not a crime scene, Martina, Frank said, mild and dismissive. We don't know what it is yet. I own almost every season of Law and Order on DVD. I know what a crime scene is. I know it when I see one. She turned her beady glare on me. You all uppity birches. I should have known. I hope they bring cadaver dogs and dig up the whole yard. She gave the barleys a knowing nod and added, I bet you anything there's a whole slew of bones and forks and such like buried under there. The barleys actually looked alarmed. Don't be ridiculous, I snapped. Martina looked down at nose Martina looked down her nose at me tilting her head back and flaring her nostrils so wide I could practically see all the way up into the dark cavity where her brains ought to have been My daughter took me to see arsenic and old lace over the Montgomery theater I know what's what She prepped her grandson about what was what as well because as Cody bustled up I saw he'd brought a roll of glaring yellow crime scene tape with him. So old it was dusty. What in blue blazes is going on? He snapped, glaring from Frank to me. Grant says, you got a body in that chest? I started to answer. But Frank put one calm, calm hand around my arm. We're not sure what we've got there yet, Frank said. I'm going to need to open it, Cody said to Frank. I need to see. Frank waved his hand in a, in a be my guest gesture. Cody pushed in close and dropped into a crotch. I turned my face away and looked at the barleys, huddled close and whispering to each other. I heard the chest's lid creak, heard Cody grin. Down the road, Della Brody was standing on her porch, peering over at us. Next door to her, the Maxwells had come outside too. So First Baptist's super-efficient phone tree was already working. We'd have most of the Birchville on the lawn within 10 minutes. I kept my face only, uh, only pointed safely at the neighbors, watching them coalesce until I heard the click and creak of the chest closing in again. Cody was asking Frank about the car with its smashed bumper and how the chest had come to be in the resting glass in the first place. It was in the back of the car. Where was it before that? Where did it come from? Cody asked. That's the real question, wasn't it? The attic, Frank answered, calm and brief, supplying truthful information, but only the exact things Cody asked for. While they talked, I picked my way over to Lavender and the boys, the damp cuffs of my pajamas flapping at my bare ankles. You kids go make Birchie and Miss Watty some, some hot sweet tea, please, or cocoa. I think they are in shock. Can we have cocoa too? Lavender asked, 
her kid-centric interest lured by chocolate and sugar. Jeffrey's smile sparked hopefully at the question, but Hugh's face remained grave, a mirror of his father's. He was only two and a half years older, but they were big ears. I hoped Lab, ha- Lab had picked up the safety of crush on Jeffrey. Lavender wasn't ready for a high school boy, minutes from driving, with a full complement of adolescent testosterone thundering through his body. But I looked at how he close he stood beside her, so protective, and I knew he was there, whether she was ready or not. Sure, I said. They started off. I'm going to need to question Miss Birchie, I heard Cody say behind me, and I whirled back. Frank said, I'm her lawyer, you can talk to me. That dog won't hunt, Cody said. I've been questioning you. I don't know, Jack all. I'll have to do. I can't let you talk to my client. You were at the fish fry, so you know very well Miss Birchie was not competent. Bullpucky. Seems to me like Miss Birchie only spoke some true words at the spy. At the fry. If what she said was craziness, your wife wouldn't be leaving at, living at her mama's right now, would she? Cody said, and Frank's lips went white. Damn, that was a low blow in a fresh wound. Why hadn't God made jackass jeans recessive? Birchie has Louis bodies. I stepped in, trying to sound calmer than I felt. It's a form of dementia, and you can confirm the diagnosis with her doctor. You absolutely may not question her. I shot Martina Mac a look of pure venom. I had seen Law and Order too, if only once or twice. It wasn't really my kind of a thing. You talk to Frank and no one else, and you keep a civil tongue in your head while you're doing it. It was a light, line straight out of Birchie's lexicon. Now, one of our two police cars was dr- was driving slowly up from the square. It looked like the chief, Willard Dalton, was behind the wheel. He was a reasonable guy, older and calmer, and worth about 15 Cody's. I willed him to drive faster. Cody glared back and forth between us. Get me, Watty, then. She hasn't gone demented all sudden and convenient, has she? Miss, what do you mean? Who raised you? I was all Birchville in the moment. In this moment, speaking for my grandmother and doing it well enough to shame him. He was in our own yard. Hell, he was in our own town. He should have called Watty Miss given his age and hers especially in front of his own grandma and he knew it. I saw your boss coming and he will talk to Frank and me and anybody else who might need talking to. You stand out here in the yard like the dog you are. That human beings pick what happens next. I turned smart on my heel and walked off towards the house. Wait here, Frank ordered Cody and followed me onto the porch. He leaned in, talking soft. Don't you ask Bertie, Bertie any questions? She might tell you. Tell me. Tell me what? Anything. You need to be careful of what you know. Don't ask and don't don't let her explain. I was already shaking my head. Frank, I have to. He interrupted me, quite but urgent. Hear me on this. These are old, old ladies and Birchie is sick. I'm not going to let anybody question her. Not if I can help it. But for sure, someone is going to question you. If you know the wrong thing, say the wrong thing, you could do a lot more harm than good. Let me protect you all. I held my hands up in surrender, though it would not be easy. As I went in inside, I tried hard not to think of questions to ask and fail. Who was in the trunk? It must be someone who belonged to Birchie in some way. It was her house after all. Exactly how long has it had been up there? I'd had only one look at the bones, but they were old old enough to unhinge entirely from one another. 
Also, the trunk had been buried deep in the back room. When I was a girl, that back room had already been too packed to allow me entrance. Had the trunk been present, moldering and fall, while I played dress up, it could have been there longer than it had been alive. The heaps of history growing up organically around it, burying it deeper every year. I hoped it had been. I hoped it had been there for a century or more. A bad legacy passed on Perchi from someone long dead. My storyteller's brain was hunting narrative. Ellis Birch was by all accounts an overprotective father, but also overproud. Perhaps these were the bones of Birchie's missing suitor, the one who was supposedly run off at the straight line. Maybe they were older still, the remains of a Yankee soldier, killed during the throes of Reconstruction. They could have travelled in this trunk with Ethan Birch. The real reason he fled Charleston and founded Birchville. If this was only a box of bad history, then it will all be over soon. Remains that old required anthropologists, not cops. All I had to do was wait. Let Frank get the story. He would tell me and tell the police too in the best frame possible. Those, those bones were something Birchie knew of and that was clear. I could not believe for even a breath that they were a thing that Birchie did. The kids were still in the kitchen. I could hear the clatter of dishes and buzz of young voices. Birchie and Watty were alone in the living room. They sat primly side by side on one of the Victorian love seats. Are you okay? I asked Birchie, going right to her and kneeling. I suppose such a mess. I'm so sorry. I never thought. Hush now. I kissed her. Don't apologize. Don't talk about it at all. Frank says not, not even to talk to me, okay? She nodded, but I looked into her bright blue eyes until I was sure that she was there and hearing me. I turned to Watty, taking her hand in mine. I could feel her own live bones, intricate and fail, and they seemed more fragile than her weathered skin. You and me, we have to get to the same page now, I told her. I've been on your page since the day you were born, sugar, Watty said. But then she added tartly, though all this week I wondered if you might be illiterate. Don't worry, I'm not, getting, not, not going to let her say a word. Good, I said, though my heart sank. If Forty didn't want her to talk, that meant Birchie had plenty more to say. I wasn't asking questions, but I was still learning too much. Keeping Birchie quiet would take both of us. The fish fry proved Birchie's illness had progressed beyond Watty's powers to thoroughly contain it. Birchie might at any moment say the world's least convenient truths. Or worse, she might say her self-incriminating nonsense. She did have Louis bodies. She saw awful rabbits humping all over the town. What if the Louis bodies made her remember things that never were? I fixed Watty with a stern gaze and said, That trunk belongs to Birchie? Watty said, I thought we weren't going to talk like this. I am making sure we are protecting the right person. Is it hers? Watty's full mouth compressed and her sparse white eyebrows knit. And after, but after a moment, she ducked her chin into a nod. Okay, hear me now, I said, sounding just like Frank. If the police ask, you say you only helped Birchie move the trunk because she asked you. I am sure she was very agitated due to her illness. The illness that means she can't be held responsible for anything. So you probably agreed to help her move that trunk with no idea what is in there. What is nostrils flared? My mother did not raise me to be a liar. 
Well, you've got it pretty good at it all on your own then. I said sharply, but my heart sank. Of course, Bertie had told Waddy what was in the trunk. She told Waddy everything. Okay, that was cheap, but I, I had no idea Bertie was ill until last week. So maybe I, I was owed this shot. She looked away. But I saw my birds had landed with her. For the record? My mother didn't raise to be a liar either. Lucky for you, I don't always take her good advice. Hmm, the world would be a better place if we all listened to our mothers and our grannies too, what he said. Maybe. Did your mother teach you how to keep your mouth shut? You're a caution girl, what he said, smiling a little in spite of everything. You spent half your childhood in that attic and you never know he was up there, did you? It was fair to say I know how to keep things to myself. I shook my head. Hush now, we let Frank talk and we sit tight. Yet, the information sank in any way. He? The person in the attic was a he? A he was so much than hum- so much more human than it. And worse, what he knew that remains were male. Still, it didn't mean she had known the him personally or that she had had anything to do with his death or his internment in a sea trunk. Don't say another word. Frank believes it's better if I don't know who is in there. I told you already. But she piped up, agitated. But she, please, please, please stop talking. I said, reaching across Wadi to pat at her. I told you the first night you were here, Birchie insisted. I told you at dinner this morning. Birchie's best time and she sounded so certain. Nevertheless, I was pretty sure we hadn't discussed who might or might not be dead up in her attic over the roasted game, hunts and fresh tomato salad. I can't remember how to make that cornbread, what he said, sudden and loud. But she started and looked at her, blinking. I can't remember how much flour and how much cornmeal. Two to one, but she said. Two to one, you know that. And three good-sized fresh eggs. What he shook her head. You better start at the beginning. But she seemed to sink back into herself. I need to get your mother's ball, because in that ball we can eyeball how high to put the floor and such. I keep it second bottom cabinet left on the stove. As, as Bertie started to walk us through the process of her signature dish, I realized that Wattie had done this before. It was a coping mechanism for Louis bodies, taking Bertie step by step through something that was second nature, something she remembered in her hands and nose and mouth, not just in her mind. Lavender said with a tray full of hot cocoa and a worried face, Where are Hugh and Jeffrey? Eating 50 more cinnamon rolls? They're going to puke if they don't stop. She set the tray down. Can we have the laptop back? We were doing something. Sure, I said. It was still sitting on the coffee table. She picked it up and turned to go, saying, And when you get a second, can you call my mom? I told her you were busy with the cops, but she's having kittens. You called Rachel? I said. I didn't need Lavender's confirming nod. When things went to shit, girls called their mothers. My own mom smelled like chamomile and honey, and I half wanted to run home, crawl into her lap, and abdicate all presence of adulthood. Instead, I had to call Rachel. She must be foaming. Jesus, please, us. Leah, mind how you use the name of the Lord? said my grandmother who had kept a dead body in her attic for God knew how long. How much grease goes into the skillet? Watty asked, insisting, pulling Birch's attention. A goodly scoop. 
Use the spoon I keep right by the coffee ta- coffee can. Bertie said, back on track. I touched Potty's shoulders as a thank you and then went upstairs. I had to explain to Rachel how it was I had brought her only child to a house where the body was hidden in the eaves. An old, old body I would need to emphasize. Just bones, really. When did a person being a bo- stop being a body and become a piece of history? Perhaps when there was no one left alive who loved them? How long was in that town that had a memory as long as Birchville's? I didn't know. I didn't want to know. I closed my bedroom door behind me and braced myself and dialed my stepsister.